Welcome to Heating Up, a podcast about climate change, our dangerous future, and what you can do about it. We're back. Yeah, we're back. Better than ever. Great. Sure. You're back from your wedding, the mm-hmm. wedding of the century. Wedding of the century. Yeah. And you're sick. I'm sick. Yeah. And I always am. My weak genes. Yep. How was the wedding? It was good. It was a beautiful day and lovely. How much did it cost you? Day of? Uh, how day- much was it day of? And then how much total did you spend on the wedding? When you say day of, that's a really hard to say thing because I didn't spend a lot of money that day. They didn't charge you a cover price to get in? Right. So the price of the day versus... So the price, if we add up bachelorette, bridal shower, wedding, and I I haven't even bought a wedding gift yet because you technically have a year. (laughs) Um, But when you hear the amount I've spent, you... I feel like that means you're not buying a wedding gift. No, I will. I will. Um, Next month. (laughs) about three thousand dollars that's a lot for somebody else's wedding someone else's wedding it's a lot of money to be fair you're never going to get married so it's not like that money's going towards your wedding ever i guess that's a great way to put it (laughs) um just shots fired right off the front you know fine sure you get it back in happiness right in in facebook likes for your instagram uh that was a the price per like was steep steep um but yeah, so it was good. Came back with a cold, a little tired, a little worn out, a little bummed to be back to work. So that's where I'm at. All right. Good, good. Well, uh, less uh, exciting around here. Soccer season officially started. Woot woot. Yeah. We had our first games uh, while you were at the wedding. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Something. Yeah. Anyways, uh, how's your basil plant? You know, R.I.P. So did it survive? It, it's already dead. It's R. been R. less than a month. Okay. I'm gonna try again. Yeah, it's gonna be come a... back stronger. <laughs> I didn't say I was gonna keep it alive long. Well, I did immediately go out of town, so it's fair. Uh, I killed it, as with many things. You knew that was coming. Yeah, I, I, I said sorry, buddy. When I picked out the plant. It was already probably gonna go to the garbage. Was, yeah, it was pretty full of life when I got it for you. Well, it was a good plant. It was. Yeah. A lot of things die in my house, all right? That's Hope, true. dreams. Um, well, anyways, we should say this is, uh, what, episode 32 of our podcast? If, uh, if you like, like us, that. like, subscribe. We should try and get people to actively get new listeners for us, I feel. How do we do that? You know, what would make a lot of sense for us, like really low scale? Just pass the pod on. Just like pass tell one person that this you is know. This is like pyramid scheme stuff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You get one person to like it, and then they get one person, and somehow we end up with Casper mattresses. And HelloFresh. Yeah, exactly. So I would just take yeah. a free If you enjoy our podcast, not only write a review or you know like us on Facebook or whatever, but tell somebody about it. Say, hey, you know what? They're okay. They're okay. <laughs> this is the third best climate-related podcast based in, in Sacramento. Sacramento I've ever heard. And a matter of fact, we should probably find out if there are other climate there is 350.org does a climate report um weekly i know the guy who does it i was uh, he's a nice guy um different it's not so much disaster related it's way more professional Mm. Uh, but yeah so that's why i said uh, so i know he is number one there's probably somebody else i don't know and then there's us it can't be that many more (laughs) 
So we're we only know of one other one. So we're assuming the, there's another one and it's better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's my thought. Great, great. Yeah, that's where I come up with third best. Maybe even too bit of a high sh- shot, but yeah, we'll see. I feel like top three is achievable. Uh, even if we're not, even if we're number five right now, I feel like we could get to top three. I feel like we have that kind of ambition. We're not going to unseat the 350.org podcast, but, you know, third. You do have aspirations yeah. of greatness. Yeah. I'll give you that. I feel like that's achievable. Sure. Somebody in Germany downloaded every single episode this week. Again, I, I feel like we got to get back into that uh, niche of, you know, teaching people how to speak English. And, I think that is probably, <laughs> that's probably a good route. It. They don't know what it is. They that's might like they us because we're at least like California accents, right? Which are sort of like the neutral accent as far as people are concerned because it's what they watch on TV and yeah. movies. So I've also been uh, watching a lot of It's Always Sunny this week or oh this boy. Yeah, last week. I realized something, though. The sound of effect that we use for our news is the same sound effect that they use on the show. Do I got we? it from a free website. No, no, no. Oh. So, like, some little how we make the sausage around here. We paid for the theme music at the beginning because we felt like somebody, you know, made it. They needed to make some money off of it. So, we paid a small... There's, like, websites where you can go to buy little jingles and stuff like that for YouTube videos or podcasts. So, we did that. The one for the news that I've been using, I got from a, like, free, you know, open source, you know, sound effect thing. But it's the same one they use on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. When do they use that sound? Every now and then on the background when the newscasters just, okay. yeah. But I know, I was like, that's, that's, our, that's our sound. That's our sound. Nice. We're basically as famous as always. Sound. Basically, yeah. They stole it from us, I think. All right. You ready to do the news, Corinne? Ugh. Can we go light on the news today? We, well, we've only got a couple of news stories. The first, obviously, is uh, Hurricane Dorian made six landfalls during its two-week uh, stay along the East Coast. Three of them in the Bahamas. Yeah, it was a Category 5 major storm. So the fourth Category 5 storm in three years. That can't be related to climate change. Don't worry about it. Unrelated. It was the slowest moving hurricane over a 24-hour period. Like, it, instead of just, like, keeping going up the coast or moving along its path, it kind of just, like, stalled right over the Bahamas. Is worse? Yes. Now? Because the wind is, it's like, the wind is still going super fast. The whole storm isn't moving, though. So, so it's just staying in one area, destroying Do you think it maybe everything. didn't go as far? So maybe the da- damage was devastating in the areas that it reached? Well, it went all the way from the Bahamas to Nova Scotia. So, so didn't slow down didn't, too much. Didn't, didn't go any less far. It went all up and down the seaboard. Slow and steady wins the race here. Yeah. Huh? Well, wins something. So the Bahamas were absolutely devastated by Dorian. Um, they're still getting to the final death toll and destruction toll. I was reading an article yesterday that said 17% of all the Bahamians, well, I guess that's what you call Bahamites, people what? that live in ba- the Bahamas. Okay. Residents of the Bahamas, 17% of all of them are homeless now oh my gosh. because of Dorian. It's over 70,000 people. But of course, it wasn't spread out over the entire island chain. So there are some places like the High Rock area of Grand Bahama that people are saying as many as nine in 10 homes were leveled Jeez. by the the storm. So there are places with uh, thousands of buildings destroyed. Uh, people have been without food and water and power for nearly two weeks at this point now. So it's a major, major disaster. Uh, we have posted on our Facebook page feeds to mutual aid efforts that are trying to get uh, aid and such to the Bahamas. So we'll repost that as well, and you can look back on our Facebook feed if you're interested in donating to some of these efforts that are working to relieve some of the problems in the Bahamas. Of course, Donald Trump has decided to make it worse. 
because the Trump administration has refused to offer humanitarian aid known as temporary protected status, which is a way in which people can like come to the United States and stay like past their visa date. If well, like the, if if going home meant going home to like a disaster zone, yeah, he's... so like in 2015 we offered uh, temporary protected status to people from uh, Nepal after the earthquake, you know, yeah. or we did it in the 90s when Hurricane Mitch hit Honduras and stuff. So it's a it's a nice way to say like, hey, you can come here and stay in a hotel because your home was destroyed. But well, nope. anything good and nice has got to be destroyed. So literally, hundreds of people have been kicked off of boats headed from the Bahamas to florida uh because they didn't have the proper paperwork uh because you know the, we're not the bad guys here no of course not uh so yeah it's it's a mess down there definitely look and see if there's anything you can do to help the people uh that are suffering from this major hurricane depressing depressing mm-hmm. so other stories have been missed in the focus on hurricane dorian one that I saw that I'm sure you're going to love, Karen. Mm-hmm. Japanese officials have said that they will have to dump over one million tons of radioactive water into the Pacific Ocean. What did they... Could we just leave it wherever it is? Oh, that's crazy talk. So radiation is, of course, the gift that keeps on giving. Right. So after the Fukushima Daiichi plant melted down a few years ago, they used water to cool the the, the reactor so they didn't like totally melt down, I guess. Yeah. And that water... Is so like groundwater is coming up and then mixing with the radioactive water, which just makes more radioactive water. Correct. So at this point now, uh, officials have really struggled to keep up with this buildup of water. So they have over a million tons of it, and they're essentially running out of storage containers to put it in. So they're like, we're going to have to get rid of some of this water somehow. They've been trying to get rid of some of the radiation, but they can't get rid of all of it. And it's still way higher than can the levels of... Can they remove radiation from water? They can remove certain isotopes, but not all of them. I was reading about it. This is too like, confusing. Yeah. This is like beyond science beyond my abilities. Basically, they can't uh, okay. get all of it. Sounds and right. And so some of it, that, yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. So some of it, they just are never going to get rid of. So it's all still way above the levels that Shoot you're supposed to space, have. Shoot it out space, guys. Yeah, I guess. So what what could go wrong if you shoot a rocket full of radioactive water into the atmosphere? Nothing. Couldn't be bad. Just send it out far. Yeah. Uh, but either way, so they're going to have to dump it into the ocean. Uh, Why so, is that our best recourse? Well, where else are they going to dump it? They're like, we got to put it somewhere. Can they just get more storage units? I guess. But I mean, this is the point with the thing. It's like forever. Keep so how much them. water? How high yeah. can we go here? <laughs> stack power it of up radioactive to water. space. Yeah, there you go. So they were just saying, they were just letting people know uh, because it's going to be dumped into like the area of, you know, the ocean water doesn't stay in one spot. It's not like it's only going to affect off the coast of Fukushima. So yeah, not great. Not great. Oopsie daisies. Yep. But you know, nuclear power is the solution for our green future, Corinne. Clean energy. Yeah. Nothing can go wrong. Never heard of anything going wrong with nuclear power. No, I don't. Nothing about Russia or nothing. Next story, Corinne. The IPCC gets dark with it UPC. okay say it again the ipcc the international panel on so climate change so close to icup but almost okay. yeah and yeah so if the ipcc is known for anything when it comes to climate change it's for kind of watering down the stories like for being real conservative with stuff so it raised a lot of eyebrows when a recent report about the oceans and what will happen to them when we race past 1.5 degrees celsius warming when they said quote the same oceans that nourished human evolution are poised to unleash misery on a global scale. Sounds about right. Yeah. 
So the report then went on to talk about collapsing fishing stocks, the flooding of uh, dozens of major world cities, and of the estimated loss of over 13% of total global GDP, uh, heat waves killing thousands, and all of this in like the best case scenarios. This is like the, if we keep it at 2%, all of this is happening. So the report got real dark real quick, and yeah, you don't even want to... They were like, you don't even want to not talk about what's going to happen when we hit six degrees warming and whatever else, and the methane burns and all these other things. So getting real, real dark over there in the IPCC area. Well, that just gives you lots of hope, doesn't it? Yeah, and we're going to get into the hope section here a little bit later. But we've got more stories to talk about, Corinne. Oh, good. We've talked about hurricanes and floods and water, so now we need fire? to... Fire? Fire, of we course. Go. Yeah. I knew it. I you, knew it. You figured it out. I know the disaster ring floods here. Floods and fires, yeah. So fires and falls. <laughs> there are fires burning in Bolivia, in the Chiquitano Dry Forest, in the country's southern Santa Cruz regions, are on fire. Uh, they're largely the result of intentional burning to convert forest to farmland, just like the Amazon fires. Beautiful. The Amazon is, of course, still on fire. The Arctic is, of course, still on fire. We're not even going to talk about those fires. We're talking old about news. Other, yeah, old news. Uh, Australia bushfires have started early this season. When are they just always on fire, Australia? Basically, yeah. I mean, that's what they, Australia they said. Australia is always purple in the danger meter. So it said fire weather has never been as severe this early in the spring uh, is what's happening. So this major fire, it actually burned down this lodge, which is one of Australia's oldest nature resorts or whatever. As you said, fire season itself has become a nearly year-round trial uh, in Australia. Independent studies have also shown that the number of hot days in Australia have doubled in the past 50 years, while heat waves have become hotter and longer. Extreme weather events such as flooding and cyclones have intensified in frequency and strength as well. So like you said, Australia is getting that climate nightmare. Again, because it's closer to the poles, it's getting more extreme weather first. Is it bad? My first thought is, man, we should have visited Australia sooner than later. (laughs) Yeah, so Robert Glassier, a visiting fellow at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, had this quote. He said, this isn't the new normal. We're going to see much worse, and the pace of change is going to accelerate. (laughs) You think this is bad? Basically, yeah. (laughs) Bolivia, Australia, and then, of course, we have a fire here in California. The Walker Fire, 11 miles east of Taylorsville in Plumas National Forest, was burned over close to 40,000 acres and is on, was only 5% contained as of earlier this week. Hmm. So fire season started a little late for us this year. Or I guess we had some fires, but they weren't nearly as bad as last year. But it may be going much longer this year into the fall and into the winter. Actually, there was a fire down just literally two or three blocks from my house a couple of days ago as I was driving home. I just saw all these fire trucks and all that, and I thought, man, it could really get over here. Not, not uh, unreasonable. And I was like, you know what, I'm not that... I could be worse. I've got a little packet with all of my documents and a couple of bags and boxes of things. You could just grab and go. You get your I, bug out bag. You got your water. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but I had some things. It would have been a lot better than had I, this happened six months ago and I had to evacuate. But it was really only two, three blocks away from me and three houses caught on fire. So anyway, that real, t- real time, that sort of a little better off than I was a year ago. Nice. Better that, than nothing. That's the point, right? So that's the kind of the end of the news that we have for today. Uh, I mean, it wasn't a lot, but it was sufficiently apocalyptic it enough, sufficiently a, a downer. Quality, not quantity. But yeah, that's about the end of the news. We're going to talk, though, about a recent article that's been really talked about a lot in environmental circles this week. So earlier this week, Jonathan Franzen 
who is best known as a novelist, wrote an article for The New Yorker. And the title of that article was, What If We Stop Pretending? And it's about climate change. And so he wrote the article and immediately got shit on by tons of environmentalists. Well, that's the, the thing is about the internet. <laughs> no matter what you say, a lot of people are going to hate you. Sure, but I mean, prominent people have come out sure. right, and said, you know, that they, they disagree with the article. They think it was irresponsible of him to write this. Um, because they see it as a sort of uh, giving up on environmentalism or giving up on the climate fight. So he's been receiving a lot of backlash for this article, but I think it's important for us to break down the controversy because it gets right to the heart of what we're trying to do with this podcast and some of the criticism that we've received about why we don't talk too much about activism in our podcast and why we are focused on disaster preparedness. So Franson's basic argument is exactly the same basic argument as this podcast. He states the fact that because we've collectively failed to stop climate change for the past 30 years, everyone alive today has a good chance of, quote, witnessing the radical destabilization of life on Earth. Massive crop failures, apocalyptic fires, imploding economies, epic flooding, hundreds of millions of refugees fleeing regions made uninhabitable by extreme heat and permanent drought. So he's said, there, that's the dangerous future, right? And what he's essentially saying in the article is that that future is locked in. Even if tomorrow somebody waved a magic wand around and, you know, reduced carbon emissions to zero, we can't stop that. It's too late, baby. It's too late for those things. It may not be too late to stop the most apocalyptic scenarios, but we are going to experience stuff that's going to make what we're experiencing right now look like the, you know, warm-up act. And Franzen's main point is that having this false sense of hope, having the sense that, like, we can still somehow prevent this climate nightmare is actively getting in the way of doing something about the climate nightmare that's coming. And so a lot of people got mad at him because they saw him as defeatist, saying essentially, stop trying to fix the climate. Like, but that's not what he's saying. That's article. not exactly what he's it. saying. I do appreciate that argument, though, because as somebody You used to be very... You used to really hate it when I said, ah, we're so screwed. And you'd be like, I hate that because... Sure. Uh, I live in this world now. I have to do something about it now. Yeah. Well, like, I've been working for environmental organizations for most of my adult life. And so for years, I've been talking about the, you know, crying the sky is falling about the climate. For, you know, 20 years, I've been going to tabling at events and talking at Earth Days and trying to get people as anxious about the future as I am. And I would constantly run into people saying to me, you know, oh, you're being overly dramatic, you're over-exaggerating, you know, this is not the, you know, that's unlikely, you know, we don't need to go so radical, you know, all this stuff. And then in the last year or two, I've seen this huge flip where the, the science behind this, you know, extremely dark future has become so undeniable that those same people then com immediately flip their narrative to rather than telling me that I'm crazy and that I'm crying wolf, that, well, it's too late now. We should have done something years ago, but now we can't. So we could keep living. And like, that's the argument of cowards. Like, that's the argument of people who are just looking for some way, any way, to justify their own inaction in the face of people who are desperately trying to do something about it. And so, as someone who's tried to do something about it for quite some time, that pisses me off quite a bit. And I understand a lot of people who, like a lot of people, a lot of activists who read this article and see that argument and say, this guy is an asshole. Because, yeah, those people are assholes and they need to get off the stage, like... I totally agree with that, but I don't think that's quite the argument that Franzen's making with this argument. I think he's got a, a true difference, which is important. 
I mean, at the very top, like we said, of our episodes, we talk about our dangerous future. And the question is, what can you do about it? And I think Franzen comes down on one side of like, well, we can do damage control, right? He doesn't say anywhere that, you know, you shouldn't also keep working to save the climate. What he says is essentially, hey, we need to diversify what we're doing here. An over-focus on just trying to prevent carbon emissions means that is actively harming people who are going to feel the effects of the carbon that's already burned. Right. Right? Uh, I think there's a quote in the article that gets right to the point. He said, Our resources aren't infinite. Even if we invest much of them in the longest shot gamble, meaning stopping the burning of fossil fuels, uh, it's unwise to invest all of them. Every billion dollars spent on high-speed trains is a billion dollars not banked for disaster preparedness, for reparations to inundated countries or future humanitarian relief. And that's undeniably true, right? We don't, especially if the government's not going to take any action whatsoever, which seems to be the case, we're talking about very limited resources of the environmental organizations. Even the biggest environmental groups out there don't have unlimited funds. And most of those that are doing this work have very limited funds. And so they can't do it all. They have to pick and choose where they're going to allocate their resources. And I think Franzen's point is, hey, people are going to die from the climate or the carbon that's already been emitted. You know, we should be focusing on some of that. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of like, again, I can never stop talking about the 2016 election. But when people were like, well, they're both terrible. So I'm going to vote for uh, some third party or whatever that will not win because I don't care who wins because it's going to be bad either way. And I was always really offended by that because okay, sure, maybe Hillary Clinton wasn't, you know, Jesus Christ, you know, savior. But there were people who would be immediately harmed, you know, very quickly and very harshly for a change of Donald Trump, which is, you know, rolling back on welfare, immigrations, uh, you know, laws, uh, environmental laws. And there was a lot of changes that were still immediately going to be a problem. And yes, just because there wasn't a perfect alternative didn't mean that you should just give up entirely. That's what it just reminds me of, just being like, oh, whatever, they're both horrible. Like, no, one of them is infinitely faster in their uh, horribleness. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I think he makes the point here, which is you know relevant to that. He said in the article that the activists who make that kind of point, that if we admit defeat, if we admit that we failed to save the planet, that nobody will do anything, are a lot like religious leaders who are like, well, if there's no heaven, then why don't I just go around murdering people all the time? Because it's still awful. Right? Yeah. And so I think he makes that point. It's like, no, generally people are decent and want to be good to one another, regardless of whether there's some place in the sky to go to and like he makes the same point that you know even if we can't prevent every catastrophe or even apocalyptic scenarios there's still a point to saving what we can of making them better of if we can stop even one category five hurricane from coming it's worth it to keep doing it i mean he makes that point in the article but people gloss it over i think in large part because they've heard that you know argument we were talking about earlier that sort of just any justification for an action. And I don't think that's what he's doing. He's arguing for more localized action. He's, at, for, he's looking for a specific type of action. Or even just kind of like, essentially, uh, damage limitation right. rather than, you know, more radical action, which is, you know, striking at the roots. Because I, And he does that because he sees the radical action as incapable of solving the problem or unlikely to work. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean... 
shouldn't we have some people on every bit? You know, you need your sure. radical people. And then you're going to need your people who are more like, okay, well, these are the problems I can see right in front of me happening right now. I'm going to solve the suffering I can see as opposed to the suffering in the future. Some people work on different areas of it. It doesn't make that what he's doing any less, you know, what he believes any less valuable. Sure. I think what he is doing is he, uh, and he takes a really clear eyed look at the available science and the likelihood of some sort of radical change to human nature to solve the problem and says, yeah, not that, likely. he says not likely. And I'm not going to, he doesn't see it. Even if he, put all 100% of his effort into doing it as being capable of of working. Right. And like, I mean, that's hard to, you know, as someone who's worked in radical bet. environmentalism for a long time, you know, I can see where he's coming from. I know a lot of people who spend their lives, you know, slamming their heads against that wall. So to say, and it hasn't worked, like, let's be honest, like we've been so ineffectual at stopping climate change. You know, the, our best efforts can't even slow down carbon emissions. 2019 will be the most carbon ever pumped into the atmosphere. Guess what about 2020? Right? Yeah. And like, no matter what. So I see that, you know, sort of complete ineffectiveness of what we're doing. So it's not like, it's not like if we're all, if we all keep pushing in the right direct, in the direction, we're, it's not like we're we already moving nothing. it in the right we way. We may move nothing and have put all of our effort into a big, the big pull that won't work. Right. And what I find funny is these people are defending this like false hope. You know, the people that are attacking friends in the article and, uh, you know, I related back to uh, an author that I've met and who had a lot of effect on my kind of climate activism over the years, which is Derek Jensen. And Derek Jensen came to the same conclusion. He looked at the exact same evidence that nothing we're doing is very effective and said, you know what? These people aren't going to stop if we ask nicely. They're not even stopping when we make the rules. They just break them. Yeah. Right. We can spend 20 years pushing and pushing for a Clean Air Act and then people just ignore violate it, it and violate it with impunity. And then you get a President Trump who just guts it or whatever right who rolled like how many years did we fight for methane regulations and now they're just being rolled back immediately by some jackass any win is temporary and our losses are permanent and he you know he came to the conclusion that what we need then is like an underground radical environmental movement and you know that's a legitimate like what he's done is he's seen the problem for what it really is and come up with a solution and if that's your solution i'm not going to talk you out of it Franzen's just come to the thing and said, you know what? I can't do that, but here's something I can do. And I think that that's fair. Like, I think that's wanting to limit the suffering. I feel like it's like seeing exactly what's likely to happen sure. as opposed to what's unlikely and hopeful. And he wants to deal with the problem that at hand. He wants to limit the suffering as much as possible and deal with the real problems we will become that will be coming our way instead of trying to stop them entirely. Yeah, and I think he mentions that there's a danger of people like when you're when you're being told that somehow the green new deal is going to solve the climate problem, then all you do is vote for the legislatures and you say, "Okay, well, I drive, you know, I ride my bike around town and I drive a Prius and I, I voted have a for a collapsible straw. Yeah. And I voted for AOC. So that's all I can do on the climate. And I think Franzen's argument is no, like you have to save what you love. Like he even talks about like find something that really draws your attention and try and do something achievable at that. Like that's how he's trying to draw meaning. And I think that authors get this maybe more than scientists because they deal with kind of like human reality. Yeah. Like they're always thinking of what does it actually mean for to do this? How do we live in this age of apocalypse, right? Because we've got the dual realities with the climate apocalypse. We've talked about this a little bit where it's like we can read about what happened in the Bahamas, but then go to a grocery store full of food. Right. You know, at the same moment when literally we can be hearing about it in the car to the grocery store. 
so like the realities are dual. Like, yes, there's apocalypse unfolding around the planet right now, but not here, not right not now. Not here right now for us. For us. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, we're in this bubble or behind the barricades or however you want to describe it, where it's hard to, you'd burn out if you try and spend every minute focused on saving those disasters. You somehow have to keep living in the age of apocalypse. So you have to find some meaning in it. Like, what does it mean to be alive at a time when nine out of 10 homes in the Bahamas are being crushed by this hurricane, right? And that there's no end in sight for that. Like, how do we find meaning in our lives? And I think Franzen's thing is find something you can you can protect and try and protect that. And I don't necessarily know that that's a bad way to do it. There was an article uh, on grist.org that was attacking Franzen's article. And they basically said, you know, he was being defeatist and whatever else. And they said, you know, you shouldn't look at the problems and say, oh, they're insurmountable. And then try and just work on local things. You should say, oh, they're insurmountable and get really mad about it. I don't think Franzen's not angry about it. I think that, you know, you can be angry about it and choose to do different things. Like, you know, the Earth Liberation Front, you know, in their in their manifesto said, you know, we are the burning rage of a dying planet. You know, and this was in the 90s. This is before most people even thought that the planet was actually dying. And so they got mad and their solution was attack the system. Now, maybe they, you know, weren't as effective as somebody might be. And I, But I see that aspect. But I also see, you know what? You can get burnt out on rage, too. Yes. You can get, you can be so angry at what's happening and that that won't fuel you forever. And as you get older, you might need to think of some other way to maintain a life because you still have to live. Right. Right? Like I still have to live the rest of my life on this planet. And so Franzen's argument is try and do some and it, and it can do good, you know. He talked about, you know, waterfront restoration, which actively sinks carbon, which actively helps the climate fight, but is also a winnable local fight. Right? It's impossible to fight these global movements. I hear a lot of times when you know, you're talking about carbon and emissions and you say, you know, hey, we can you know, pass legislation in this country that will lower America's carbon footprint 20% or whatever. People are always like, well, what about China? Right. I'm like, well, shit, man, I can't do everything, we right? Like, do, we can't control China. I can't, I can't stop China from building another coal plant. There's no way I... I mean, I can't go to China and do it. I don't speak the language. I have no idea how to do it. It'd like, be pretty arrogant to assume you could. Right? But I can do stuff here. Yeah. Like, I think his argument is basically focus on what you can control and what you know is happening. Like, accept reality and do what you can. And I don't think that's a bad argument. I think so many people want to live in this world where we can solve the problem and not have any, like, and have a clear blue sky at the end of the day. And unfortunately, with the climate, that's just not going to happen. There's no clear blue sky. The best case scenarios are disaster. And, like, that's hard to swallow, but it's true. And I think a lot of people are just refusing to swallow that pill. So, I don't know. There's, yeah, there's just been a lot of uproar about this and about a few other articles. There was that book that came out, The Uninhabitable Earth, about a year ago that also had a similar sort of scenario where he's like don't be doom and gloom don't talk about the reality because it's too depressing but it's reality like at some point you do have to live in the world you do have to live in reality and pretending it's not the case is actively bad yeah it's actively making it worse in a lot of ways because if you live in a flood zone and you just hope that you're not going to have a flood you don't buy flood insurance you don't pack food and water and supplies you don't get ready for what's inevitable so I feel like the Franzen's article is really true in a lot of ways. Like, I know a lot of people hated on it, but I read it and I was like, yeah, this guy's correct. Like, there's, there are other things to do. And I don't think he says to anyone, don't fight for the climate. No. You know, he says actively, you know, you can keep doing that. But think about other things as well. Think, diversify your portfolio of hope is kind of what he says, right? <laughs> don't yes. put all your eggs in the global climate movement because 
it hasn't worked very well yet, and it right. seems unlikely to work for a lot of reasons. There, it's it kind of reminds me of um, people who donate to charities, right? There's charities that like feed hungry people, mm-hmm. right? And then there's charities for cancer research. Listen, my mother died of cancer. Do I want cancer, you know, cured? Sure, but all the money we put into cancer curing. I've still seen no cure for cancer, but what I can tangibly see is when you give money to a uh, food shelter or food uh, homeless shelter, food bank, people eat. Right. Right. So that's two different ways of looking at it. Sure, cancer would be great to get rid of, but also starving kids right now. If that you can actually see it fixing, it's you know, people getting food seems to me like a better way to spend my money than on research that may amount to absolutely nothing or smaller cures for certain cancers, whereas a child might eat tomorrow. So I can see where that thought process comes but in. But of course you need both, I think. Right. And, and But not everyone can do everything. Not everyone can be everything you for everyone. You pick what your, your passion or what you believe sure. in the most and that you can spend your time doing because that's probably what's worth it most is whatever you're going to actually do right? is what you should put your effort into. I think that Franzen's point is that the the biggest difference here isn't between like the Derek, Jen- Derek Jensen and Franzen both see reality and they take that as their baseline, right? We can't pretend this isn't what happens. And some people say, well, we got to do radical action. We got to strike at the root of the cause. Mm-hmm. And other people, like you said, we've got to do damage limitation. We've got to prepare for disasters. We need both. We need, you need both. And the biggest difference isn't between both of them. It's between them and the people who are doing nothing, the people that refuse to take any action whatsoever. Like the difference between the the harm mitigation and the radical action of DGR or stop fossil fuels or earth liberation or whatever, the difference is there is tactics, right? Or maybe even just strategy. But the others are just not doing anything. They're actively like in the way. Yeah. Right? Because they're refusing to take any action. And I think most people... And if half of them picked one and half of them picked the other, it would be better than sure. doing nothing. So I don't think that we should be fighting between the two groups. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. We need both. And not everyone can focus on that. Some people have to go help the people of the Bahamas, right? Right. Like, like it's not enough to say, yeah, the Bahamas is a disaster. Let's go stop the fossil fuel industry. You have to help the people of the Bahamas. I think that there's... You know, some people have to do that, but not everyone can do everything. And there's only 24 hours in a day. You can only be one place at one time, right? If you're protesting the Keystone Pipeline, you can't also be in the Bahamas. You can't be both places. I don't know. I didn't understand why this article was getting so much crap. I mean, you do, but you don't. Yeah, I guess so. So I felt like we should, you know, kind of talk about it because it's Sometimes definitely... Sometimes it seems like people, and we'll say the left because that's who seems to care about anything, they fight with each other over, you know, logistics and how we should think about the thing that we agree on and attack within instead of attacking the true monster, which is the people who don't give a shit. You know, like, okay, I think they're giving a shit in the wrong way, but these people don't give a shit at all. It's like, how is that giving a shit in the wrong way worse than not giving a shit at all? Yeah, that sort of horizontal hostility between groups on the left because they both refuse to fight real power. Right. Right? So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there's a lot of that where you've got to have the right, you know, deep analysis of whatever. As much as I roll my eyes at the people that have a a keychain with a collapsible straw, I will... I am infinitely more uh, accepting of their weirdo behavior than of the person with... um, the bumper sticker from Ronald Reagan. You know, I, I know wherein my hope, or at least my chance of a connection to someone else or who could do a good thing in one moment, 
I know who I can side with. Sure, I'd rather be with the crazy straw people than with the people who still don't believe in climate change. The people that are rolling coal. Uh... Correct. You know, yes, yes, it is a little silly and maybe they don't, you know, totally... Okay, we don't have to get into the f- who makes straws and that's silly little marketing. Yeah, you can argue about what an effective action is, but that's a that's a, that's a strategy argument. Right. Like that's an argument that says, "Hey, we both agree we need to do something to save the planet." Yes. I don't think your collapsible straw is doing anything worthwhile. I'll roll but, my eyes behind your back, but I will defend your efforts and belief system at the very least. Sure. And you know, maybe I could, you could say, "Well, you you're wasting your time and effort because we have so little time and effort." and money in this but movement, But sure, there right? are lots of straws in the ocean. They're not wrong about that. Sure. Somebody who is at least willing to say, hey, listen, this is reality. Because so many people don't see the reality. Like, like, remember we went to Earth Day and we found people that knew they lived in flood zones right. and said, well, I feel like the government's going to fix it. We met people who refused to engage in reality. As more and more people are affected by these disasters, I think people are coming to the realization, but it might be too late, you know? It's too late if you've already lost your home. It's too late. If you have already been hit by these floods in the Midwest or fires in the you know, West or whatever, you need to you need to be prepared ahead of time. And I think that's Franzen's point. So I don't know. I felt like it was a worthwhile read. If you want to read the article, we should have probably said this at the top. The article was in The New Yorker. I think we did mention. <laughs> we did mention the name of it. So you can Google that. But yeah, it's in The New Yorker. I think there's a paywall on The New Yorker, but you get like five free articles. So Crane, you didn't run into that limit, did you? Haven't yet. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow didn't read five articles in the New York. Your brother's a subscriber, Brent. I could just go ask Brent for a hard copy. Yeah, I'm sure he's got one. But yeah, there's that. And if you wanted to read Derek Jensen's article on Hope, there's one on the Orion Magazine's website. He's written a bunch of stuff on it, but I know that that one's accessible to anyone. But yeah, so I guess that's basically all I kind of had to say on it. But I do feel like the main point behind Franzen's article was the main point behind this podcast, right? Because he even mentions disaster preparation is a big would becomes a much bigger deal. Like he says, right. the all-out war on climate change made sense only as long as it was winnable. Once you accept that we've lost it, other kinds of actions take on greater meaning. Preparing for fires and floods and refugees is a directly pertinent example. And I think that that was the genesis of this podcast, was you and I basically getting sick of pretending. Yeah. And if you accept reality as reality, you then have to prepare for it. Get ready. Well, ready. I, it, was, it is also odd that this was... The one sort of criticism we got on a Facebook post a while back. So really? I put, po- yeah, so I posted, uh, you know, my haphazard social media policy. I post, I repost articles that I find all the time. So yes. I get flooded with, you know, environmental news and I post the ones that I feel are pertinent to the Heating Up podcast on the Heating Up podcast website mm-hmm. or Facebook page. And so I posted something about uh, food prices and food shortages due to climate change. And, you know, I said something like, hey, time to start that survival garden or whatever. And somebody in the comments was like, no, time to start fighting climate change. And I was basically like, yeah, we yes, need both. both. Yeah, yes, yes, and. and. <laughs> Have you ever done uh, some improv, improv? It's yes, and. Well, exactly right. So, like, and both of those are legitimate solutions. Like, yeah, definitely we need to fight climate change. But also, you, you need to get ready for this future. That's our other podcast, Yes, And. Just yes, kidding. And. I'm sure there is another podcast called Yes, And. If not, called it. Called it. Copyrighted. No, no, yep, no, it's ours no. now. Boom roasted. <laughs> the Yes, And podcast. But yes, And. Yeah, I think that's, again, that's more of the fighting. No, 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 you're doing it wrong, even though we agree on the same basic tenets of the issue. Yeah, so I don't know if we have much else to say about it, but you should read the article at the very least and see where your thoughts lie. See Tell it. us why we're idiots. Yeah, so that's kind of our episode for this week, Corinne. Yeah. 
pass the pod. So that's the plan for this week, right? Pass so tell pod. people about it. You can have them. I feel like this art, this conversation we've had here would be a great jumping on point for people. I agree. So if you've got new people that you want to introduce to the podcast, you can tell them the first 30 episodes are garbage. Start. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> let's maybe. <laughs> maybe not that. It's a lot of Don't hours of our lives. Yeah. Don't, well, that's also like defeating your own point. Be like, Correct. there's a great podcast. Don't listen to the first 30 episodes. They're terrible. Just start here. But you could tell them you could jump in right now and get the gist of what they're doing. Yeah, um, that's true. Which is a lot of talking about nonsense. Speaking of nonsense, I just thought of another nonsense I didn't bring up. Okay. I just started listening to the audiobook, Angela's Ashes. Never heard of it. Never heard of it? No. Nah. It's like a famous book. Uh, it's great. Also, it has got an... It's uh, Irish accent. The writer is the audiobook uh, reader. Anyway, it's a great book. Very sad. The Irish have a rough history. <laughs> uh, and uh, anyway, it's very, very good. I've been caught up in that. A weird, weird book to be listening to as you walk into Safeway, by the way. I don't know. Like, yes, the Irish have a rough, rough history. I was able to go to Dublin a year or two ago. I took Shirley... And we went and saw like the the memorial for the famine and stuff. And yeah. I do get it. And yes, it's Russian. I, I, and I don't want to like shit on anyone's rough past. But I do feel like white people tend to over exaggerate the for Irish. Sure. It was as... more of a it was more of a a story about a single family. And so to which you can see the suffering that we're like it's like and then my brother died and then my sister died and then my other brother died, all of whom were three years old. And you're sure. just like. Death, 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 poverty. Certainly, Sounds like a lovely book. That certainly, uh, there's been a lot of death and poverty in, in massive amounts of other uh, areas of the world that aren't so white. Uh, but it's a very interesting book. And a, I, I can't believe you've never heard of it. I thought it was like super famous. And the name sounds familiar. I've never read it, is what I meant. Yeah. It's not that I haven't heard of it. It's that I've never read it. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like the Irish get thrown out there as this sort of like, I gotcha. Mean, personally, I'm embarrassed that we're Irish, but... <laughs> That's just me. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, they have bad accents. They've got a the horrible accent. holiday. The only thing I'm proud of is Saoirse Ronan and her part in Lady Bird, really. <laughs> <laughs> the Sacramento movie. That's a local tip. All right, so I guess we're done for the day then, unless you have any other nonsense. Let me know what other audiobooks you're listening to, because yeah. I'm really into that. And any of them, please not be by Ed Kemper. If you are in the Sacramento area, which most of our listeners, a lot of our listeners are, not most. Except for all those ones in Germany. Except for the, the one, well, 30, it's a 32 downloads in one city or like one it area. It could be a so group, it could of, five be a group or six of people. people. All downloading the 32 Maybe they people. They have an audiobook club. They're, yeah, they're doing the podcast club. I so. should join an audiobook club. Is that a thing? I should My be. God. I'm sure it is, you fucking millennials and <laughs> your audiobook. FYI, Derek, you're a millennial. So I don't, I don't shove count it. it. You don't believe it. Just accept it. Lean in, Audio buddy. book club. Ugh, gross. Oh, wow. You're such an elitist. I have I all like the time reading. in the world to open up a book. <laughs> Look at me. I don't have to travel. Huh. I don't have to travel. All the time I have for this luxury is, is what I'm driving to and from I just work. read my book in the car. At work. In the car, on the way to work. How do you do that? Yeah, just distracted driving. Just... Most people are checking their phone. I'm just reading a book. Horrifying. <laughs> 
I'm not doing that. You are an elitist. Yeah. I guess I'm not against audiobooks. You are, fundamentally. Yeah, maybe I am, fundamentally. But here's the thing. I, whenever I say I, I, list, I say I listened to the book, I think your ultimate issue is when people claim they read it. Although it's, again, another elitist issue. You read it. You heard it. You absorb the information one way or another. There's something different about holding the book, It's though. elitist. It's yeah. an elitist oh. part of you, Derek. You must admit that it's... Because... <laughs> okay. Like, let's say a blind person hasn't learned Braille yet. Should we deny what them? What kind of blind person is a grown adult that hasn't Maybe learned? Maybe it's a child. Have Did they not read Hop on Pop if they <laughs> listen to that? I mean, did any child <laughs> read it or did their parents read it? I'm just I don't saying. Think we, I'm, just, I'm not going to go up to a six-year-old blind kid and question <laughs> Who what doesn't know how to read. do Braille yet? I'm just saying. I don't know if and it's that of, elitist. Yes, it is. Well, I actually read it with my eyes. It's like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, well, I went, I had, I ran, someone says like, oh man, I woke up at 4 a.m. today. And you're like, well, by 4 a.m. I'd run three miles. I'd clean my entire, and you're like, okay, great, buddy. Yeah, okay. All I did was get up at four, but it seemed hard at the time. I do take a lot of pride in waking up early. Like yes, could, you like do. It, it's, oh, and it's I feel like it's a moral failure. As a person of you, who, who currently has to wake up early as well, I see no moral superiority other give than give it time. Give no, it time. No, I, I just hate it. Oh, it's so good to be like the only person awake in your house and then everyone else wakes up and you're like, Well, 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 welcome to the party. Yeah, pal. I know you love it. I've been on oh, family yeah. vacations with you. Well, you're like mad at us because we didn't wake up till 6 a.m i've been awake for two hours 6 a.m you wake up at noon i was on vacation yeah don't tell me you we had up and at also six on a you kidding me i get to wake up at noon never in the history of vacations with you derek <laughs> never when we sleep until eight it's like i it's like i flipped <laughs> <What> off luxury <laughs> it was, it's, i did something horrible in a church i don't know what is the... it's not so much that i'm mad at you it's more that i just feel more superior you do than enjoy ever. your yeah. superiority and you're like i can do it yeah can't it's believe. the most thing thing you have most in it's common probably with the dad m- most insufferable thing about me it's is mine. one no it's hard to say <laughs> so many insufferable <laughs> things about you really but it's it is probably what personality trait you really inherited from dad is the superiority of some sort of morality of it's your a general suffering. dad thing it's I a think. suffering you know martyr feeling a martyrdom yeah yeah you really oh, woke up so early and you guys are just lazy yeah hate it and i wake up early <laughs> for work for for, for money work. you wake up early for money <laughs> you wouldn't <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Derek, I grew up with you. You don't want to tell me you didn't also sleep until noon when on the weekends. When I was weekends. like 15. Right. Yeah. All the way through like 18 until yeah. you got a job. It's had to be wake shop. up early. Yeah. Right. So by choice, you would be sleeping in. I don't know, man. At this point, if my whole life. I don't. Money. I can't remember like the last time I slept in past 8 p.m. Or 8 a.m. I can't. I physically cannot sleep in. Even if like, first off, I'm a very light sleeper. So I need total darkness and total quiet. Have you gotten into sleep masks? Sleep masks? Okay. No, I can't put anything on my face. Here's, oh my God. Here's here's the thing. I hate them too and I still kind of hate them, but I found a decent one. Okay, here's my problem. I like to fall asleep to this comforting sounds of 30 Rock or The Office or something, right? It lulls me into it. It's like a lullaby, would okay. you? But the light is bothersome to my eyes. Oh, absolutely. But the sleep masks that they have now are not just this flask silk thing. They have them. They're swim goggles. They basically your swim goggles so your eyes can like have your eyelashes aren't like bent hitting the thing you're hitting the plastic the whole time it's they've much improved the uh sleep mask scenario so for sure i got shirley a weighted blanket for her birthday yeah 
and then stole it. And I use it, and I love it. <laughs> so really, you got yourself a weighted blanket for it turned her out. birthday. Well, I got it for her, but she, she didn't use like it. it. Well, she would, but then she was like just sleeping on top of it. What? And I was like, why? What? Don't don't ask me. She would use a other smaller blanket on top, and then have this weighted blanket underneath. I was like, what are you That's doing? The only purpose of this thing is to be on top of you, right? And so I ended up basically like, give me that. I'll use it. The and I loved it. Found out touch, I loved it. Right? Basically is like, oh, actually, I need the benefits of well, touch it without feels the like actual you're, like, touch. Well, because the one thing I do enjoy, like if you're not going to have any, you know, blanket, either no blanket at all or like 50 heavy blankets on you, like that feeling where you're just like underneath everything. And you're the like one way to like Temple Great Grandin or whatever wants the like body s- hugging machine. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So it's good. I like the weighted blanket. <laughs> This is a really weird route we went the last 10 minutes. Oh, so, yeah, we got on a weighted blanket. We should add this as a mini so Derek and Chris <laughs> yeah, ramble about non- true nonsense hour. <laughs> true nonsense. True nonsense mini episodes. Just keep it going. It's good, though. It's pretty good. Some of our best rhetoric is really when we're talking about pure garbage. Uh, so, yeah, I do. But I can't sleep without like total darkness and total silence, which doesn't work Not well in a house with a two dogs, chickens, a wife kids all sorts of crazy you stuff live in going a city. on yeah just the neighborhood even if i had like the most optimal scenario possible in my house there's no way i could sleep in past like seven o'clock as soon as the kid is up or the dogs decide it's time to go outside i'm up all right so anyways that was our show this week pretty depressing all in all <laughs> compared to all the other weeks yeah. i guess i mean i feel like we should be used to it by now it is a show about climate change and our dangerous future so it's going to be about some depressing crap yeah we're kind of downers in a general sense yeah we will be at the uh sacramento preparedness fair in old sack on saturday yeah we will sign autographs if requested yeah exactly i'm sure that all thousands of our screaming fans will be there we have not been invited to do anything there we're just going as partic- as you know viewers yeah viewers or i guess we're paying general admission what I, day is that it's saturday the 14th have a great day we'll see you in a week or two Thank you.